Well, good morning. It's, uh, it's been great to hear those reports of spring harvest. I, um, I wasn't able to go um, this year because uh, the weeks kind of ran into Easter. Um, but uh, I managed to catch some of it. They live streamed some of it on Facebook. And I could watch some of the video. And I was watching uh, Malcolm Duncan at Spring, uh, up at Skegness uh, in the Big Top doing some of the Bible study. And he was speaking about this greatness of unity. And then he started to say, who is there here from different denominations? So he, he started with the Anglicans and there was a bit of a, you know, it was a number there. And he mentioned who are from the, the sort of the independent churches. And there was a bit of a, you know, and obviously they were putting up their hands. And then it was said, anyone from the United Reformed Church? And you got this, Ray! So I sent Emily in a text <laughs> saying, you're not in Malcolm Duncan's talk, are you? And I got one back going, yes. Um, but the idea is enthusiasm. You know, Malcolm Duncan went on to say, that's the most enthusiastic I've ever heard, the United Reformed Church. <laughs> You know, and sometimes, well, maybe the URC has many different uh, flavours, but it's great to be together. And it's great to be worshipping God. We'll meet together tonight, along with our friends from the Evangelical Free, when they gather here. And we'll be doing something different. We'll be joining with them. We do something different each night at half six. So please do feel welcome for that. Um, and also, there was mention about, thank you, for sowing that little seed about the weekend away, it's gift day in a couple of weeks' time. So please do be considering what you can uh, give financially towards our second uh, gift day um, for our weekend away in June. At the start of this week, back about Monday or Tuesday, the, the media and social media um, heavily featured a politician. Well, it's been featuring politicians all the time. But it was a politician being repeatedly asked about sin. And it's questionable whether those journalists... And the Twitterati even believe sin exists. But they were obsessed with the question. And I think his struggle of how to answer the question and the position that other politicians who are people of faith sometimes find themselves in um, gives us the right sort of place to start this journey in Daniel. We, God's people, need to be able to discern, based on scripture 
under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, where to make our line in the sand and say what we find is wrong or would be wrong for our relationship with God. All of us who are Christian are people in the world, but not of the world. We here are aliens, and our first loyalty should be towards God and the kingdom that we are born spiritually into, rather than where we have had our physical birth or where we find ourselves living. It's a challenge that has faced God's people all the way through history. We see it in the Psalms, in Psalm 137. I think it sort of hits the nail on the head. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? How do we do it? How do we live out our life? How do we sing our praise when something is different? By those rivers of Babylon, as they weep, they have hearts that love God, but they struggle to live for him because of what they see and hear around them. And yet the people are called to thrive in this foreign place. They may not comprehend what they're doing there. Why are they not in the land that was once upon a time Canaan? But this is part of God's plan. This is where God has brought them to. It was the Lord that delivered Jehoiakim and the Jerusalem temple into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. It was the Lord who allowed the treasures to be taken from the temple, carried away, and to be put in a place where false worship was going on. This was against the understanding of God's people, the people of Israel and Judah at the time. But sometimes the Lord teaches us by doing something that we least expect. Our faith is based on something that nobody would really expect. That God would give his only son. That us sinners, we are all people in sin, sin us sinners can be forgiven and have new life through that son's death on the cross. It's not something we'd expect, but it is God's plan. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, four young men find themselves in Babylon. They are people of God, called to live a certain way, but they find themselves in a new culture, a foreign land. How can they fit in? How can they live? They're not at the periphery of the wider society. They're not in a tiny village somewhere that they are far remote from the authorities. 
they have been chosen to be trained for the royal household. They are going to live in the palace. Which is like one of us going to Westminster. They are in that place. The place where decisions are made that they must live out life in a certain way under the ruling. And the demonstration is done by the head of the royal household. If things are going wrong, the king will have their neck. The heads will roll. It's not simply a case of get out of here, I'll find somebody else. It's conform or that's it. You are no more. These men have been taken to the palace. And they had Hebrew names that related to God. For example, Daniel, our key character. His name means something like, my judge is God. Or judge of God. A judge given power by God, given authority. But he is given the new name, Belteshazzar. Prince whom Bel favours. Bel being the main idol of the Babylonians. Probably the sun, we understand. Their old names are removed. Their identity in God is being taken away from them. They're being told, this is what your life's going to be like. You're either going to have a name that reflects a false god, or a name that reflects the king. Fit into society. This is who you have to be. Those who have seen Les Miserables might remember the character Jean Valjean, is known simply as Prisoner 24601. That's him. That's all he is. He's just a number. And he has to overcome this. When he comes out, when he's released on parole... He eventually takes a new name. And it is with a new name. He starts to find a place in society. He has to change how things are done. Just simply based on a name. The change of name imposed by the authorities. Says to these young men of Judah. Your old life's over. That's it. Get on with it. Live this new way. But they don't take that for granted. The four renamed men are taken and they're given the highest training that could be given to them. 
It's as if they were put into the civil service fast stream. They're destined for high office. They're on a graduate training scheme. Or, put it another way, they are the main participants in The Apprentice. And they're going to be given a task. But will they be hired or will they be fired? What will Nebuchadnezzar and his boardroom team do? How will they respond? Daniel is clearly the team leader. And even when the Chaldean names are used for his friends later in the book, we see that Daniel seems to retain that Hebrew name. That name about God. He's the one that takes a stand. He's the one that says, don't give us that food. Don't give us the royal food and wine. Don't give us the food and wine that has been sacrificed or blessed in the name of your false gods. Don't give us that food from the royal table. Just give us some vegetables and some water. Now, a lesser man might have taken that food. A lesser man might have said, well, this is a perk of the job, isn't it? I've been put onto this training scheme. I'm given the lovely food that the king eats. It's right that I eat it. This is my destiny. But he doesn't. He doesn't. How often is it that we hear of people taking all that's given to them? A few years ago it was politicians with expensive scandals. Perhaps in the workplace we ourselves have taken what, you know, we can get away with. Used things to our advantage. Used our position to benefit ourselves. Not Daniel. And because of the leadership of Daniel, the Hebrew men will not sin. They will not eat the defiled food. And actually, they thrive. They're physically better. After ten days of their vegetarian diet, avoiding the sacrificial food, they are healthier and stronger than those that were eating the choicest meal. There's something going on here. It's not just them not eating the food. It sets an example to others too. The example of the men of Judah is seen by the head of the household. It's better not to eat the food offered to the gods or to drink the wine. 
And verse 16 shows us that the non-Israelite men have their special food taken away too as a result of this. Those that had grown up as Babylonians, those that had maybe always looked forward to eating the food from the royal table, now don't get that food at all either. Their diet is changed. None of those being trained for high office will eat it. Now, of course, Daniel had not demanded that the others that were not of Judah should stop eating. To those people who did not know God, the food was not understood to be sinful. It was perfectly acceptable for their society. Something they'd maybe always hoped to have. But Daniel reveals there's a better way of life, one that is in way of keeping with God, and that seemed to be beneficial. The legal ability, the right to do something, the joy and the riches gained are not always what the world thinks they are. Daniel demonstrates faithfulness and is rewarded. He's rewarded with his health and he's rewarded spiritually too. God blesses all four of the young men and gives Daniel a special gift, the ability to interpret dreams that will be useful in his service. These men are superior to those that are local, those that have maybe looked always for this job. We see here and in the rest of the book that following God is the right thing to do. It might not always seem by those in society that it's the right thing to do. They might think there's better things. They might think it's more advantageous to go their own way. But here it's shown that God is alongside them when you go the right way. And it's not just in the great miracles. It's in the private discussions that God's there too. Giving hope, giving encouragement, opening doors, allowing things to happen. He's interceding on a daily basis in the conversations, the simple conversations that are had between Daniel and the chief of the household. This week, this week ahead, there are local elections and the general election is not far away. Pray for those little conversations that you might have with others, that you might have with friends, that you might have with family, that you might have with politicians that come to your door canvassing. Pray for those that are developing policy and writing manifestos. 
Pray for those that have the ear of those that have the ear of those that have the ear of those in power. Because those little things matter. Show your influence in what small way you can. Pray that they may know what God requires of those who govern. Pray that God requires those in opposition to act in certain ways too. So that this land and this area may more closely reflect the kingdom that we are citizens of. The kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ.